Good morning and welcome to Tuesday as uh, we're just 48 hours away from Turkey football, a parade. Uh, they lit up the downtown lights in Rochester. Did you see the Christmas uh I have not Shots? seen the latest iteration, no. but I love that. I love those lights. Man. They do such they do a, a good, good job, job there. Uh, we had a pure Michigan moment with our family. Our, our San Diego crew had never gone ice skating outdoors before because they only got indoor rinks right. in, 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 in Southern Cal, right? Where'd you go? We went to Royal Oak, their new rink. The new rink. There. Yeah. Centennial that, uh, Park. Exactly. Yeah. Henry Ford sponsored. Hats off. City of Royal Oak, thank you for being a great host. We made memories. By the time uh, Henry and Charlotte left, they were both pushing themselves down the ice pretty well. You know, they got those little push things. Yeah. Uh-huh. They but they were doing really well. So, And we had a lot of funny. I mean, it was it was laugh out loud. For <laughs> That's all. Henry had rubber legs off? for the first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had fun. Um, and it, it was just a great time. Junior. Junior's running that rink. He did a great job. You're... One of my most favorite stories was when I, quote, unquote, taught Bernie how to skate. Uh-huh. And he never let go of... The, the thing that you push. <laughs> oh, yeah. the only thing that you push. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I've I never tried to skate, either roller or ice, you know, so. Let's go, Lloyd. I got you. Uh, you got me? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. game. I'm got, game. Yeah, I mean, you have a competitive figure <laughs> skater here. If I'm she gay. can't teach you, nobody can. Then I'm in trouble. Right. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'll, I'll be your backstop. Okay, I will. I'll, I will be your cushion when you, <laughs> when you fall. When you no, fall. guy, you'll be the one filming. <laughs> well, that was that's Gail. Gail will be there. Uh, I meant to put it up on Facebook. Anyway, it was great fun. And, and Royal Oak, you've done a great job. They kind of expanded the decking there. They've got tons of fire pits. Yep. It's just a, a, a super spot. Thanks to all of you who donated yesterday to Hunger Free in the D. Uh, Seven sixty WGR raised. $271,961. So we more than made the max match from our friends at the Chelani Family Foundation. Thanks to them. Um, but that will, be, you know, it's just, it, and and I, 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 I should punch it out of my phone, but that is, uh, what, more, well over the half million uh oh meals that we were hoping to raise so thanks to all of you you are a wonder when it comes to uh when we ask you to deliver and we thank you so much for thinking of those less fortunate this holiday season your gas prices are 1. getting 2 lower million. Oh, 1. 2 million. 1.2 yeah. million there you go thank you and you <laughs> yes you had your calculator handy i'm going <laughs> I'm trying to do me you know, i was moving decimals um, U.S. gas prices, lowest they've been since 2020, the middle of the pandemic when they crashed in the $2 range. Uh, we're looking at 325 nationwide as an average. Uh, it's just about the same here in Metro Detroit. I've seen it as low as 309 in some places in the mm-hmm. state of Michigan, depending upon where you're going. So uh, you might want to gas up. As you're, if you're heading to rural parts of Michigan, you yeah, might want to yeah. gas Good up idea. there. You'll save uh, maybe 20 cents. Uh, but uh, kind of a nice timing uh, for for that. Your weather today is going to be messy. It's not going to get any better than it looks right now. You'll have temps uh, in the 40s, but it's going to be feel five degrees cooler. Meantime, a major shift in uh, a major law taking effect with Gov- Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, signing a new domestic violence oriented bill that will lead to suspensions and also. 
uh, the inability to purchase a firearm for some domestic violence and abusers. Yeah, we talked about this on the federal level and the Supreme Court taking up this issue. Here in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed legislation yesterday that would crack down on gun possession by domestic violence offenders. The bill is spearheaded by Senator Ch- Stephanie Chang of Detroit, and it would block domestic violence offenders from owning or possessing a firearm for eight years after completing their sentence, a change that partially mirrors federal prohibitions on gun ownership. A similar state-level waiting period for misdemeanors involving a firearm was needed to make it possible for state and local law enforcement officials to enforce it. That's what advocates say. Of course, there are opponents of this. They have argued that the legislation uses too broad a definition of, quote, recent domestic partner. And the legislation appears to reach much farther than crimes involving domestic violence. Yes. So one state lawmaker called it the Trojan horse for other restriction. And, and in the Detroit News article, there are some crazy things that could be included in this uh, subject to the three to five year gun right suspension, like certain lobbying violations, false statements on a veteran's benefit. If you misbehave at a funeral. Right. If this disorderly <laughs> conduct at a funeral and uh, a Republican in the state house, uh, Representative Graham Filler said this is too broad. So here, you know, you've got Second Amendment absolutists out there. They're right. going to squawk even at some of the most common sense regulations. Graham Filler is a reasonable guy. One of the most reasonable guys, I think, in, in the Republican Party and very thoughtful in the way he approaches these things. If he says this is an overreach, uh, then and, and honestly, the, the things you just listed, they could have cleaned that up. What was this yeah. is again, I think, a rush. Is that the an rush? indication of the, the rush. rush. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there are people on both sides, but it's signed into law now, and um, it could change a lot of things. It goes into effect in February. Yeah, Republicans are also saying, look, we, we, we tried to bring these things up. We tried to offer amendments, and there was just a tone deafness. <clears throat> Again, that's the partisan bickering that we have. There should have been, I think, some, and maybe we will see that in, in, the, in the new uh, legislative year. By the way, we're going to be talking with... The uh, Speaker of the Michigan House, Joe Tate, coming up about the legislative priorities in the new year when they will have to not share power, but they're going to have to reach consensus in a bipartisan way. Big human trafficking bust. Yeah, uh, guy, Michigan State Police detaining 18 people yesterday in connection to a possible human trafficking operation in Detroit. Now, while investigating a stolen vehicle report in Royal Oak Township last week, uh, troopers noticed something wasn't quite right. And during interviews, troopers discovered evidence of a possible human trafficking operation. MSP worked with the 2nd District Special Investigation Traffic Abduction Group to launch the investigation. They're called TAG. After several days of surveillance and investigation, TAG identified three houses in Detroit where possible victims of human trafficking were being kept. One of the houses located on Hartwell Street near Vassar on the city's west side. The MSP surveillance team and TAG detectives executed three separate search warrants. They took 18 people into custody. TAG detectives are conducting interviews with all individuals, including and providing assistance to those identified as victims. The investigation remains ongoing. And, Guy, I have to shout out to the uh, state police, you know, going over and above it was just a traffic stop, but they saw something that was weird, and they kept investigating, and now look what we've I wonder found. what they saw that tipped them. Right, and we, they're not saying that. Of course not. Uh, but. but, yeah, they saw something that made them think, mm, there's more to this <laughs> traffic stop. So when my family was coming in from San Diego, they are in the TSA line at, at their airport, and the TSA agent turns to my six-year-old grandson and says, 
is this your mother? Well, Henry is six years old. He's really excited about going to visit Grandma and Grandma. He doesn't hear the question. He says no. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so uh, it could have triggered human trafficking investigation. And my, my poor daughter-in-law is going, oh, my God, did I bring the kids' birth certificates? Do I have the ability to prove that these are my children? Are you supposed to and, do that? And, uh, well, the, there she it, she has done it as a as a precaution. because, huh. they, And it was like, Henry... Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's my mom. Uh, <laughs> so he was corrected. A, it. He yeah. did. He did fix it. Thank goodness. Oh, oh wow! Could have been a problem. When we come back, a TikTok has become a cesspool of anti-Semitism, hate. Osama bin Laden's letter to America, more than twenty years old, gaining traction, and has some users of TikTok actually buying in, condemning their own home of America for their reaction to what happened on 9-11. It's mind-boggling. Some GOP lawmakers have taken issue. They want TikTok to get more aggressive. We'll discuss it with our Fox News correspondents next on JR Morning here on AM 760. So uh, there is some news coming out of Israel that perhaps, and this comes to us actually from the Hamas leader, uh, that a hostage deal is in in the works. Now, we'd heard that from various sources, but from Hamas, and it would be an exchange of of people. Uh, We will hope that that comes about. In the meantime, the social media platforms truly have become highly offensive places where it goes well beyond just statements of concern for Palestinian civilians or even a pro-Palestinian solution to the problem to becoming just expressions of outright hate. Even with the publication of a uh, Osama bin Laden letter to America from more than 20 years ago that is actually drawing support from some very ill-informed Americans. Ryan Schmelz is following the backlash on Capitol Hill as Republican lawmakers are going to have some tough questions for the TikTok CEO. Ryan, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. What was it? What was the what, what were the final straw here? Well, you know, it, it was really starting when you you had this war in Hamas in, in Israel break out, uh, and you had a significant amount of what what some Republican lawmakers would consider pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine, uh, and anti-Semitic content that was being shared at a very wide range on TikTok. And you know, I think one thing that they've pointed out is that you're seeing more free Palestine. Uh, post trending on on TikTok as compared to pro Israel ones, uh, but then also you had this viral, I guess you call it a TikTok challenge or trend that was going on over the last week or so, where you had young people reading this letter to America that was written by Osama bin Laden, you know, back in I believe the 90s or early 2000s, and that really angered a lot of GOP lawmakers, also a lot of, of Democrat ones too. But you have uh, some Republican lawmakers on the House Energy and Commerce Committee now writing a letter to TikTok CEO, pretty much demanding some more answers uh, surrounding this case. Well, also, Senator Dick Durbin and Senator Lindsey Graham, they're asking for Discord, they're asking for Snap, and they're asking for the CEO of X to testify because they're concerned about children overall. This is a bigger problem. Yeah, no, and and this has been something that Congress has been looking at for some time. I mean, we've had TikTok CEO on Capitol Hill before uh, testifying about the amount of data that the Chinese Communist Party has access to when it comes to Americans. 
uh, and their, uh, you know, their use of TikTok. So uh, this is something that's not going away, but this has also kind of galvanized the renewal of a number of lawmakers calling on TikTok to be all flat out ba- banned in the United States. And I'm sure that when uh, Discord and X and some of those other platforms come uh, to, you know, Capitol Hill, I think you'll see the renewal of the argument of whether or not TikTok should be banned. And I think one, you know, example of that is you have Josh Hawley, this congressman or this senator from uh, Missouri has been very aggressively against TikTok being banned or for it in, in favor of it. Then you have somebody like Rand Paul, who probably leans a little more libertarian, who said, well, wait a minute, this is a major First Amendment violation. You can't just ban a company and ban people from being able to use that that company's uh, contact. You know, I know the uh, Ryan, the national security folks, man, they're, they've been pretty weary of uh, TikTok's uh, connection to China. I mean, the parent company is based in Beijing. It's ByteDance. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yes. And that's where some of this, uh, you know, th- these concerns originally came from, because this is a company that's in China. Therefore, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has a little bit of power uh, over this company. Now, of course, it is still just an allegation that the Chinese Communist Party has a full on you know, ownership of ByteDance and full control over it, because that's something that the CEO has testified about is that they do have independence and they are able to make their own decisions. But, of course, you still have a number of lawmakers who just aren't buying it. Yeah. Well, TikTok, I think the quote that I saw in one of the articles on your website says TikTok, quote, clearly the content clearly violates our rules on supporting any form of terrorism. Well, if you acknowledge yeah. that, then why the heck is it still there? Or why couldn't yeah. you have taken they it, didn't down take it down sooner? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and they did ultimately take it down and they, when they said they were made aware of it. But obviously just the, the, the explanation that the CEO has been giving is just not, you know, biting. It's it, it, it's not cutting it for a lot of these members. You know, it, this got extremely popular and it became very well seen. And obviously it got a lot of media attention. And that's when ultimately it was taken down. So, of course, that's got some of the questions these lawmakers are asking is why did it take so long? For you to spot this and then take it down. Well, especially since you know, Ryan, they have granular data. I mean, they have the most detailed data stream showing what is trending in real time. So all the flags should have been there. Yeah, I mean, I mean that those are all questions that they want answered. You know, they want they want transparency questions uh, related to you know, how they, 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 they share their data and how they utilize their data analytics. But also, you know, they've got questions about just how much the Chinese Communist Party has uh, power over this company when it comes to either censorship or, or removal of content. So uh, these are all questions that, that have been asked of the CEO, but I'm not quite sure we've gotten those answers quite yet. Ryan, the, the, you know, the way they use TikTok in, in China is different than they use it over here. They they kind of have a more of a, a crackdown on how young people use it there than it is over here. Yeah, no, and that, that's something that has been pointed out numerous times by different members of Congress is that it, it, it just seems like, you know, there, there's a level of manipulation that goes on here in America when it comes to TikTok and, and, and how it targets certain people. You know, and it doesn't just apply to kids. I think it does apply to adults as well. Uh, but, you know, they, they do feel that. And there's a lot of lawmakers who feel that this is being used as a propaganda machine to, uh, to uh, pretty much send either anti, you know, American rhetoric to the United States, mm-hmm. but also potentially, you know, anti-Semitic content to the United States as well. Well, TikTok's point is that this was on other social media platforms and it 
that's the problem with social media. It spreads quickly, and you there's no it's cross reporting about the veracity of anything, and, it, and people just believe it as fact, and that's the problem with all of this. Mm-hmm. It's not a question. It's just a statement, Ryan. Ryan, when when you look at this, obviously because of the Chinese connection, there's a lot of outrage about TikTok. But we saw Elon Musk himself endorse a a virulent anti-Semitic post. Right. Repost. Repost over the weekend. So is there just as much concern about what's happening on X or is most of it aimed at TikTok because of the Chinese connection? Well, I think there is this, this this sense of urgency when it comes to TikTok just because of the Chinese Communist Party's potential alleged connection there. You know, they feel that that could be a ma- massive national security concern, and therefore we need to have a debate right now about whether or not TikTok should be banned or not. That's something that uh, Buddy Carter, one of the congressmen who's leading this letter, uh, was telling me yesterday when we were having a, a phone interview. But, you know, I think there still are those conversations that people want to have about X and some of the other platforms, too. It certainly is. And just social media in general is something Congress wants to tackle. But when it comes to TikTok, there just seems to be that more sense of urgency just because you have the Chinese connection there. Yeah. All right, Ryan, thanks very much. Uh, appreciate your reporting, and we'll watch to see what kind of response they get from the TikTok CEO and hopefully those of other platforms as well. Not looking to sanitize, but also just to, to put, put safety. some yeah. safety and reasonableness mm-hmm. into the public discourse. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much, sir. Hey, have a good one, guys. Thank you, you too. Much, as always. There, there does seem, you know, because Elon Musk has become a, a darling in some far-right circles, there seems to be a reluctance to call him on out on stuff that is just as bad. Oh, right. Uh, uh, there are some people who say, let it all out there. Free speech. And then others who say, well, we have to be reasonable. So there's there going to be this. There are consequences, though. There's going to exactly. be this December 6th hearing um, in Congress. And we will be reporting on that when it happens. When we come back, maybe when you go to the rent-a-car counter, when you're on your Thanksgiving vacation, you may find yourself in an EV. What to do next? It is Tuesday. That means it's time for Mobility Makers, uh, brought to you by Bridgestone. No matter what the next generation of mobility will be, it will be on wheels. Bridgestone will be there. Getting down the road matters, but getting the next generation down the road, that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. When you stepped up to the rent-a-car counter on your Thanksgiving travels, if you are traveling, you may have rented an EV. And even if you didn't rent an EV, you still may be getting one because the rent-a-car companies have really beefed up their EV fleets. And there are some things you need to know to make sure that your first experience, if it is your first experience, is a pleasurable one. Who better to tap into than Joanne Muller, who is author of Axios, What's Next, who has been through this and I think may have had just about every kind of sideways experience a human being could have with an EV because she has tested them so many times. Joanne, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Yeah. Would you agree that maybe you're a little too experienced? (laughs) Well, there have been some challenges, shall we say, Uh, but I'm fortunate to try to work out some of these problems and then share them with with your listeners and my readers, so that uh, there are no nasty surprises when we get to the rental car counter. Well, which bless you for that. So, tell me, what is the um, what is really the number one thing that folks need to know 
whether it's you know the the first time they set foot in one. Well, I mean, EVs, electric cars are a little different, right? So they they don't most of them don't even have keys. They they operate with a key card, which is like a credit card, and you just store it in the glove box or wherever the console, and you can just get in the car and 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 shift into drive, and it goes. And when you get out, you just put it in park and walk away. And it's very disconcerting for those of us who are used to, uh, you know, shifting the vehicle into park and turning off the ignition or pushing the start stop button. It's just a different experience. So. My biggest advice to begin with is don't leave the rent a lot until you get your questions answered. And I have heard so many uh, uh, complaints from people that I know who have rented a car, an electric car, and they got no instruction whatsoever uh, when they took when they you know took possession of it. And I think this is a big problem that the rental agencies need to work on. Well, and because we're so used to grabbing our keys or a key fob when we get out of the car, we you can actually, by accident, leave your key behind because it may not look like a key. Right, yeah. They, they Most of these cars have a little storage spot in the center console where you put it, and it looks like a credit card, and it blends into the into the dash or into the console. You, you wouldn't even remember that it's there. And imagine then someone else can come along and get in the car and drive away because they've got the key there. Um, so that's something to think about. You know, the other thing that I hear more than anything, the question I get asked the most is, do I have to return the car fully charged? Um, <laughs> and that's a good question, right? That's like, a really good question. Or will you be docked? Like, <laughs> right. And and think about how long it takes to charge. If you're trying to catch a plane, you don't have time to sit at an EV charging station. Uh, this happened to my husband, in fact, when he rented an EV by accident. He took the mystery option, which turned out to be an electric car, and he couldn't find a working station within, you know, uh, any close distance to the um, to the uh, the the rental car place at the airport. So he just said, it's your car. Sorry, I did my best. But there is a solution. Uh, Hertz at least has a, a program, which is kind of like the gas fill-up program uh, for gasoline cars. They will recharge the car for you for $35 rather uh, if, if you bring it back with a low battery. Um, so the answer to the question is, do you have to fully recharge it? No. No, but you probably should ask because you could end up getting hit with a with a fee that you weren't expecting. Correct. Yeah, but thirty five dollars for a full battery is probably less than what you'd pay in gasoline. No question. So I guess the other thing is is a little bit of planning. If you find out you're driving an EV and you're in Southern California or Arizona, you've got probably just charging issues. Do we have to worry about if we pick one up in Colorado or in Michigan, if we've got uh, relatives heading in that are picking one up from our airport, how much does wintry weather influence how long you can go and what your range is? Uh, This is one of the biggest surprise that any EV owner or driver experiences, which is that the range uh, is, is compromised when you get into cold temperatures. Um, and as you mentioned, I had this experience once when I was driving north 
from Florida to Michigan. I had, you know, was very confident and calculated what our range was and we could make it to the next charging station. What I didn't count on was the fact that as we got farther north, closer to Michigan, the weather turned a lot colder and suddenly the range of the battery uh, started shrinking. And, you know, luckily we made it home, uh, but it was a little bit scary there for a bit. So I think, uh, you know, anyone who rents a car needs to think about this uh, and, and think about how much driving they're going to be doing in an electric car and, and try to, it's, it's, you know, it's great. Renting an EV is a wonderful way to try it out, right, mm-hmm. uh, without committing to buying one. Uh, but you, you, it, it's, it's a different experience, and, and you have to think of a lot of things before you head out on the road. So it, when we're at the checkout counter, we found out we've got an EV. Um, I guess the next thing we should know, if it's a surprise, is whether or not our hotel has chargers, if we're staying at a hotel. And if not, how do we find where the nearest charger is? Yeah, great question. So the good news is a lot of hotels have announced in the last three or four months that they're all putting in more chargers on their hotel property, uh, whether it's Tesla chargers or other kinds of chargers. Um, but, it's, you know, there's only a handful of them on the, on the lot of the hotel, and if someone else is using it overnight, you're out of luck. Um, luckily, there are a lot of apps uh, that you can put on your phone that will help you uh, locate a charger. And, and, and usually the CARS dashboard, the CARS uh, infotainment system, will also help you search for a charger. But I highly recommend that you uh, download an app, uh, you know, something like uh, PlugShare, my favorite. Um, and you can actually put in your destination, and it can uh, help you find chargers near where you're going and even tell you how long it will take to charge there and how much battery range you'll have left after uh, when you get there. <clears throat> All right. I'm, I'm almost feeling prepared. Um, the, uh, I, I do have to ask you before I let you go, the CEO of GM's Cruise Robo Taxi Unit uh, kind of abruptly resigned uh, yesterday. Uh, what does this mean? This has now become a unit that has gone through two CEOs. Uh, they've had some safety review. They've lost some licensing for testing in, in some areas of the country. Um, how do they get back on track, and, and how much of a setback was this? Well, uh, in, in my view, it was not unexpected that the CEO would be pushed out. It said that he resigned. Uh, clearly, General Motors CEO Mary Barra is trying to take control of this situation and try to salvage uh, her strategy. She's bet a lot on self-driving cars through cruise. And, um, you know, she's now dispatched uh, another executive to, to run the place while they figure it out. But they have a very big problem on their hands, and I, I think it will be years before it gets resolved. So, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's dangerous for Mary Barra's legacy as well. Interesting. All right. Joanne Muller, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for being with us and getting us prepared for our first EV test drive. <laughs> well, I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving. and. Uh, and a good experience if they drive an electric car. <laughs> yeah, don't be afraid. Give it a try. Uh, just 
listen to Joanne. And by the way, you can find a lot of Joanne's suggestions at Axios.com. Joanne, thanks so much. Thank you, Guy. Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you. We've got something special for you. The Trans-Siberian Orchestra hitting the road with the ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO and more. Yeah. Hmm. I kind of like that. Let's get your head bobbing yeah. uh, on a Tuesday morning, right? Uh, they're going to be going to New Orleans, Orlando, and the best part of this contest is you pick the destination, not us. So a lot of freedom in here. We've got two tickets to see the TSO. Uh, your choice of the concert, round-trip airfare there, three nights in a hotel plus a $1,000 gift card for your holiday shopping experience, all provided by Wild Child Touring. But you need to know the national keyword in order to register, and the keyword this hour is lights. Text the word lights to 95819, and uh, we will get you registered for that giveaway, which is really a fun one. Give yourself a little... It's a little getaway um, for uh, the holidays. Sounds like a fun trip. Yeah, and then you get to pick yourself. You get to, yeah. Hey, someplace, beat that. Someplace warm. <laughs> hey. Yes. Where it's not <laughs> rainy, windy, and 40, and gusting at 25 miles an hour. There you right. go. Not to say that, you know, this... We, by the way, have you seen the forecast for Thursday? It is actually... We've got some sunshine, and it's going to be dry. So for folks heading to the parade... It'll be cold in the morning, though. It's, it's going to be... But no rain yeah, but or no rain. snow. Yeah, it'd be like in the 40s. Having uh, spent a dozen years in the treehouse with Rhonda Walker, um, which is open air, by the way. uh, Yeah. When that wind comes up off the river, up Woodward, yeah, it it hits you in the face. Uh, Gail always used to send corn chowder with me, and uh, that helped keep us. I remember my microphone battery froze. (laughs) You know it's cold when. (laughs) I was off the air. Like, Lori, what (laughs) <laughs> well, at least in the old days, when I was working in northern Michigan, we had these big camera batteries. And you they were, thank goodness, back then they weren't so big you couldn't put them in your pocket. But you put them in your pocket to keep them keep warm. Keep them warm, yeah. because yeah, otherwise it would, like, cut the – this is before cell phones. You, you, could, you would mm-hmm. lose half your battery life. So uh, America was surveyed. <clears throat> 85% of Americans say that they avoid family over the holidays. That seems like a really high number. It is. I'm I mean, calling BS on that. Yeah. And they surveyed 2,000 people, and 85% of those. Apparently, 2,000 people who, yes. who married into the wrong, wrong family, family or something. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, they, they and, and 85% of those surveyed admitted to lying or coming up with an excuse to get out of a family holiday event. It's, well, is, is that all family or just certain members of the family? It just says family. I would imagine. Good question. I would imagine it's it's certain members. I, I yeah, like you said, eighty five percent of people avoiding their entire family for Thanksgiving, but there you know there's that one uncle. Well, they said key, uh, the key points. Uncles are the favorite relatives to see over the holidays. <laughs> top top guest. <laughs> yes, uncles. Because they're not judging, right? Yeah, the uncles, uncles are just are there to fun. have a good time. Yeah, that's have right. a beer, watch football. Right, you know it. Yeah. We repel in, make a couple of jokes, and take a nap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask a nephew to pull their finger and leave, right? <laughs> um, no, it, I was just, I was startled by this. And um, because I just think with, with all of the discord in the world, we still have our family. And, yes, there's going to be irritants, and there's always going to be maybe folks that don't get along when you get under one roof. But then you just kind of let all that slide. Yeah. We're having a harder time in this nation letting things slide and um 
So when they say, you know, what might cause friction or arguments, and that's the other thing, only 12% of those surveyed said that they don't argue with extended family over the holidays. Just 12% are, only one out of eight is uh, families are drama-free. This comes from the USA Today, and I, you know, that is a publication that I trust, but I don't trust these numbers. <laughs> 55 million people are traveling this week. Where are they going? To see family. Because see family. they want to, and right. they right. love and those family tradition. members, we would presume. And they're going in the spirit of the holiday, of gratitude for the family that you have. Um, some families are going to be gathering and and mourning uh, lost loved ones. That's right. We, we've got to, uh, you know, an episode of that in our family. But uh, when it gets together, 48% say, what do you argue about? Well, uh, politics and money. Of course. That's number two and three. But number one, family issues. So does that mean that you're carrying baggage from past arguments into another holiday season? I always thought, too, that, that Thanksgiving was a time when family got together and you you would bring up health because, you know, a lot of times you don't know uh, about your background, your health background, family health background. You start talking about this and that and because some people have health issues and they don't know where it came from. Is it something that's in the family or from generations? And, and we, oh. we would talk about that and stuff. You know, That's important gr- stuff to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we would talk about that all the time. My, my my grandfather had this or my great grandfather on my mother's side had this and stuff. And so when we start, if we start having issues, we say, well, hey, maybe. Where'd that come yeah. from? Yeah. It's like, we know. hey, Gramps, thanks for the gout. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I know it's coming or, you know, it may be. But, yeah, you know, those are important. Uh, I think there's another issue folks feel like. Uh, the, it, and I think young parents are, are especially sensitive to this. They don't want other people parenting their kids. Well, we're not telling you how to parent, but once we're all together under one roof, we're not going to discipline your child, but we might tell them, hey, especially when mom and dad aren't around. Yeah, (laughs) don't 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 do that to your sister. Don't you know, don't be kind. Um, Others say they argue over religion, but it's just talk about the fun part of this. What time do people like to eat? That's it, yeah. Um, so, it was like three, between three and four. It's all over the board. Yeah. 14%. I mean, 14% say between three and four. Yeah, the most respondents say between three and four is the time to eat. And then the closest one to that is two and three. See, in our family, we never ate before six o'clock because, Lord forbid, we should interrupt the cocktail hour. <laughs> well, know? I was and always usually, doing the six o'clock news, so right. everyone would wait for me to get there by like yeah. seven. And there were a lot of those years. Or, or you know, the other thing was that if you're doing the parade, you're oh, up man. at the crack of dawn, and then you're going to go home and take a, take a nap, sleep through the first quarter of the Lions, Lions game, game. Yep. which it's, some years was merciful. Well, <laughs> sometimes it may have helped you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> But 14% of the people said, you know, between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m. is probably the best time to eat Thanksgiving dinner. Do you plan something after the meal so that we're not all tryptophan, which I guess is a myth, but, um, that, you know, so you have a little, you plan a walk or something like that? Uh, well, when I was still in Pittsburgh and going to the family there, we would do play outside. We'd eat early. The adults would stay in. We'd go play outside. We'd do whatever. Maybe we'd have a flag football game. And then, like, around 5, all that leftover food would come back out and would eat See, again. See, <laughs> that's – and I think that's the, the, the benefit to eating earlier 
is that you can get out and take a walk. We went to Cranbrook yesterday and took the grandkids, and mm-hmm. there were leaf piles, and we climbed trees, and it was just got get them out. Did you climb a tree, too? No, I was holding grandchildren and keeping. I was spotting <laughs> <Okay>. grandchildren. <laughs> no broken arms on my watch. Well, we Between don't know. that and the ice skating at Royal Oak. He, he put the skates on. That's, so. what, I, yeah. that's what I said. I, I, did oh, put, hey. I did put the skates Come on, on and, uh, which, which, which was good fun. By the way, just in time for Thanksgiving, a new study saying that visceral fat, that would be the fat that collects around your organs, uh, which could be when your waist is larger than your hips and your blood sugar is high enough for a diagnosis of prediabetes, that can be an early indication of Alzheimer's. So good information to know, and thanks for releasing it just before Thanksgiving. It's going to be a rainy one today. We welcome you to Tuesday as uh, we're all preparing for the Thanksgiving feast. Uh, we know a lot of folks are going to be traveling. Uh, today is going to be probably one of the worst travel days. The rain's going to be continuing. We'll have gusts up to 25 miles an hour. And that's pretty much throughout the state of Michigan. Up north, they've got some freezing rain up there, mm. like up Cadillac, Big Rapids Way. So if you're heading that uh, direction, you may want to be aware of that. But have you seen the gas prices? Mm-hmm. It's great. Lowest, great timing. Lowest yes. since 2020. Yes, I filled and, up yesterday. And, 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 and they're still falling even in advance of Thursday. So mm-hmm. they could fall even further. But in, in the 320-ish range around here uh, and nationally, uh, Sheets. Sheets has it at uh, I think one ninety nine in Whoa. some places. Whoa! If I saw a dollar as the first number. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, <laughs> lose it. Right, <laughs> right. You'd become a traffic hazard. Yeah, yeah. Because you'd, you'd be off the road. Oh wow, man! So uh, yeah. So if you're traveling south, you may encounter some really low. How low can they go? We'll we'll see. Uh, some uh, scorn being heaped upon Israel this morning after a rocket attack killed twelve people at an Indonesian hospital in Gaza. Dozens were wounded. They are blaming Israel. We have seen this before. The source of the rocket attack could not be independently verified. Uh, So uh, folks should reserve judgment, but Indonesia is condemning it. Meantime, there is news that we could be on the verge of a truce between Hamas and Israel, perhaps a five-day temporary truce to allow for the exchange of prisoners and hostages. Both sides would free the women and children that are currently uh, in their uh, possession, and that would certainly be a welcome relief. Uh, I I wonder, though, once there is a cessation of hostilities, how much scorn will be heaped upon Israel when they resume the job of rooting out Hamas, if there will be a public relations debt to be paid or a consequence to this? There kind of already is there. People are are very upset about what is happening in Gaza. And to some extent, you know, there are horrible atrocities happening. Mm -hmm. Um, John Kirby had some nice statements recently. I saw it on Twitter about, you know, someone asking the United States position. And Kirby was saying Israel is not conducting genocide, but Hamas did on October 7th. That's how he made the line. Exactly. Um, There are humanitarian concerns, though, that do need attention. Uh, The WHO went in and said that critical trauma care, impossible at all Gaza hospitals. They have ceased to function. And Michael Ryan, who's the executive director of the WHO, uh, speaking yesterday, said the chance of an epidemic in Gaza right now, poor nutrition, poor water, uh, little shelter, falling temperatures, it is a bad mix. This is creating a concentration of people which is 
driving epidemic risks. And the rains over the last uh, uh, 24 hours have really added to that. There, there, there really has been heavy rain. It has flooded a lot of the makeshift camps and it is generating all kinds of risks. And it's not just the risks of diarrheal disease. The sudden drop in temperature is going to create a problem with pneumonia in children, the stress that those kids are under, the nutritional status that those children have, make it a recipe for epidemics. That is a stark warning on the part of the WHO and uh, something that, that is real attention uh, must be paid there. Uh, but meantime, you were saying in the UN, Jamie, that, I mean, they were showing the GoPro videos there. Right. And it's a 47-minute re- video of what happened on October 7th. Can't ignore that. Right. And sometimes we get a little far away from what happened on October 7th. And the person I was reading again on Twitter, he put a thread of everything he saw. Just people said there was silence after the video ended and they went outside and were hugging each other. And it was horrible what happened. Takes your breath away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't even seen it. We're just guessing. Oh, I've seen I've seen some of the the, the videos oh, released. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Mm. Um, I, I mean, one of them was a 24 year old Palestinian Hamas fighter uh, who's also a father. I mean, because he talks as oh, he's I going saw that on in. Nightly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, that was uh, staggering, and he wanted to be a martyr. Can you imagine wanting to leave your two kids behind, See, leaving them fatherless yeah. uh, on this this holy crusade that you believe that you're on? It's staggering. Um, Lloyd, an interesting case yesterday coming out of the Eighth Circuit about the Voting Rights Act, and it undoes 50 years of legal tradition. Yeah, a federal appeals court issuing a ruling yesterday that could gut the Voting Rights Act, saying only the federal government, not private citizens or civil rights groups, is allowed to sue under a key section of that landmark civil rights law. Now, the decision out of the Eighth Circuit will almost certainly be appealed and likely headed to the Supreme Court, should it stand, it would mark a dramatic rollback of the enforcement of the law that led to increased minority power and representation in American politics. Now, the appellate court ruled that there is no private right of action for Section 2 of the law, which prohibits voting practices that discriminate on the basis of race. Now, that, in practice, would severely limit the scope of uh, protections for Section 2. On paper, those protections are themselves unchanged by the ruling, but for decades, Private parties, including civil rights groups, individual voters, political parties, they have all brought Section 2 challenges on everything from redistricting to voter ID requirements. The decision originates in a racial gerrymandering case out of Arkansas, where the state chapter of the NAACP and others alleged that the state's legislative districts violated the Voting Rights Act by diluting the power of black voters. At least two Supreme Court justices have signaled an openness to the argument that non-government groups have no role in demanding enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. We'll see. I've got to say, though, if the justices, as they have said time again, are servants to precedent, the precedent for a half century has been at the Supreme Court level. They have endorsed and they have uh, ruled in favor of those grassroots claims again and again and again under conservative courts. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- that will be interesting to see where that appeal goes. The, but we know how they are with precedent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes until <laughs> like it suits. Like the 1700s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the federal appeals court in D.C. yesterday heard oral arguments for two hours over the Trump gag order uh, that came out of Chutkin's court. Uh, and they expressed skepticism of Trump, certainly, because Trump's team says that anything that comes out of his mouth is political speech, which isn't necessarily true if it's directed a, a judge a witness or a prosecutor but they also said this as it's written is too broad 
So it appears that they may narrow the scope of the Trump gag order. Right now, it is on hiatus. It is frozen as they consider that. Uh, Meantime, no gag order on Jim Harbaugh, even though he's under suspension and can't coach on the sidelines. He's still talking. Well, yeah, he's still at his weekly press conference at Shem Beckler Hall, and he talked about his locker room amidst the sign-stealing saga, and he says it's cohesive as ever. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I go back to that, uh, it's like, it's like the Ted Lasso show, you know, um, believe what comes out of that is believe. And I'm just so proud. Just so proud of our team. Despite that noise, our locker room's in one piece. And, uh, you know, like Ted, for me, locker rooms, a lot like my mom's bathing suits. I like to see them in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> and also he called everything going on off the field just noise. Um, so there's that. He said he watched the Michigan-Maryland game from his brother John's house on Sharon Moore as acting head coach. Uh, Harbaugh says he's really battle-tested. He's empowering people. He likes to empower the coaches. And on slowing down Marvin Harrison Jr. of Ohio State, he said he reminds me a lot of his dad. He's a great player, got to be covered, and basically you just got to slow him down. Both teams are 11-0 going into the game. Harbaugh won't be there. And Vegas likes Michigan. Yes. The Michigan Wolverines are favorites. Ohio State hasn't been an underdog in five years. So how about that? And the last time they were an underdog was to Michigan. And four-point favorites. Four-point favorites over the They're giving them more than a field goal. How much of that has to do with where they're playing? I think that has a lot to do with it. In your home crowd in front of 100,000 people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, what are the prospects that Mrs. Harbaugh is going to say to son Jim at Thanksgiving? Keep your bathing suit out of your mouth. <laughs> My, bathing My bathing suit. suit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I, I messed up that, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, WJR's business meet. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community here on WJR. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy. It's Thanksgiving week. And while this marks a time for family and football and great Thanksgiving dinner, It also marks a week in which holiday shopping goes into overdrive. Here comes Black Friday. Here comes Cyber Monday. Shop small, sandwiched in between. And with consumers, on average, having only completed roughly 25% of their shopping heading into this weekend, the pressure's on to start checking your lists and tackling those purchases you need to make in order to make sure the holidays are jolly. And that tees up Black Friday and Cyber Monday is a great opportunity to achieve just that. National Retail Federation is predicting that 74% of holiday shoppers plan to shop in earnest starting this weekend. And that represents the highest estimate since the NRF began tracking this data in 2017. With respect to anticipated spend across the Black Friday and Cyber Monday weekend, Deloitte predicts that consumers will spend an average of $567 during the Black Friday to Cyber Monday events, and that's up 13% from last year. And while people still love Black Friday best, with 72% or an estimated 130 million people planning to shop that day, Cyber Monday is also a powerhouse shopping day, with 39% saying they plan to shop that day in addition to or instead of Black Friday. So here we go, guy. Enjoy your Thanksgiving meal. Go Lions. Rest up and get ready to shop. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. Yesterday at the White House, they were celebrating a big birthday, 81 years for President Joe Biden. 
Um, even though y- you got the feeling like if they could have avoided that subject, they would have liked to. Because it has become a political problem that is uh, appearing again and again in different polls. A week ago, New York Times, Siena College had a poll showing uh, Biden trailing uh, Donald Trump in five out of six battleground states, including the state of Michigan. It was a five-point deficit for the incumbent president. And his supporters wanted to write that off as a one-off, as a mistake. Well, we've got a new Epic MRA poll out of Lansing that basically confirms the NYT. Bernie Porn is president of Epic MRA, which conducted that survey. And Bernie joins us live this morning. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Guy. How are you? I'm great. As you look at these numbers, and your poll basically kind of confirmed the landscape in Michigan that the NYT uh, revealed, how how predictive are they from an historical standpoint? I mean, can you point to an election which says he he is in big trouble? When you have numbers like this, uh, it is a, a challenge to overcome uh, uh, perceptions uh, of the voters. And uh, uh, I think a lot of Democrats are, are hoping that uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, a conviction or something like that that would uh, harm uh, uh, politically uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, would be uh, a benefit to uh, Joe Biden. Uh, but barring that, and I'm not sure that, uh, that uh, Trump is not going to be able to delay a lot of the uh, – uh, decisions and, and court rulings uh, until after the election. It sounds like he's going to be able to do that. Uh, but but he uh, has been Teflon Don when it comes to those court cases, Bernie. Oh, I know it. I know it. And uh, he now in Michigan has a higher favorability rating uh, than Joe Biden. Biden is at 37 and, and Trump is at 39. And uh, uh, more troubling, uh, Biden is at only 30% positive job rating. And in the matchup, after a June survey of 44 to 44 and a August survey of 46 to 45, uh, Biden over Trump, we now have a 46 to 41 percent lead for uh, Trump over Biden. And uh, uh, Biden's getting 87 percent of Democrats, Trump 91 percent of Republicans. But most troubling is uh, among independents, uh, Trump is leading uh, 45 to 18 percent. And uh, even of greater concern, Nikki Haley is unknown by 37 percent of Michigan voters. And yet when Biden is matched up against Haley, she leads by 11 points, 47 to 36 percent. And uh, Biden drops down to 79 percent among Democrats. Uh, Haley gets 88 percent of Republicans and she gets 52 percent. Uh, to 13 percent of independent voters. Those independent voters uh, are clearly concerned about uh, age, and uh, I think it's also uh, uh, not particularly uh, favorable toward uh, Bidenomics. Uh, People are concerned about uh, inflation. Inflation is indeed uh, reducing and uh, dropping, but uh, uh, the public doesn't know about that yet. Uh, Bernie, you know, across the country, uh, we've heard that uh, the president is losing support from African-Americans and Latinos. Is it the same here in Michigan? And if so, where are they going? Are they going to Donald Trump or they're going to independent or are they just sitting out? Well, 62 percent of uh, African-Americans are supporting uh, Biden. uh, uh, And uh, I think 22 percent of uh, of them are uh, supporting Trump, which is a pretty high number uh, 
uh, among African Americans. Uh, also troubling is among union members. Uh, back in August, we had a three-point lead for Trump over Biden among union members, and now it is uh, 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 like a seven-point, eight-point lead uh, among union members. And so that's, that is why Trump went or Trump came to Michigan and talked about EVs. Uh, which uh, has been a troubling t- sub- subject for uh, uh, union members, UAW members, uh, uh, and Biden came to uh, walk in the picket line. Bernie, for context, what was President Biden's uh, numbers back then when he was running last time? At this time, well, among among union members, he got sixty four percent, and so uh, that's a dramatic change. And uh, uh, he is underperforming in just about every. Uh, demographic area uh, in Michigan. Do we know, Bernie, why there is such a disconnect between economic data and consumer sentiment and why Bidenomics, while statistically made, well, this uh, presuming that you, you don't blame him for inflation, but we see improving trends that he's not getting credit for? Yeah, well, and a lot of it is, has to do with the uh, uh, messaging by the president and by uh, by the administration, uh, uh, they have just not connected. Uh, in Michigan, we asked about uh, over the past few months, as the economy improved, gotten worse, remained about the same. Only 19% said improved, and that's down about four points uh, from the last time. 36% said it's gotten worse, and 43% said it's remained the same. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding, numbers that show that uh, uh, high uh, employment, uh, low unemployment, and uh, other factors in the economy are looking good. The only uh, downside is inflation, and even that now is uh, is uh, coming down. And uh, the CEO of Walmart uh, said that it's possible that uh, it could reach a deflation uh, point uh, in the not-too-distant future. If that happens, why that could help to improve Biden's lot, uh, because that's the biggest thing, and he needs to talk about how he would cut costs uh, for uh, Americans on health care and also on prescription drugs and also run negatives on uh, the other side about how they won't. Bernie, he hasn't started campaigning yet. So that that was uh, something that they were talking about this morning, that he hasn't started that. So maybe if he does, maybe the message gets through, Lloyd. No, I, and I was going to ask, Bernie, you know, we're still a year away from the from the election. Do you expect these numbers to to be around the same or there's much time for something else to happen for it to improve or or not well we are early uh in the process and uh, uh there's a lot of uh uh campaigning to take place uh, uh and so uh if uh biden can connect with a message and uh, uh they uh, start talking about inflation and uh and also the other issue is a threat to democracy by trump uh, i think that is a an issue that the national polling shows that uh, is something that uh, Biden can connect with. So these are things that uh, uh, they can talk about that mm-hmm. uh, could make a difference. Uh, but uh, right now it uh, does not look uh, promising for uh, uh, President Biden. And, of course, uh, these are all happening when he turns 81. Uh, uh, and that's uh, a factor as I, as I said, he can't change, Bernie. He can maybe change the, the messaging on a lot of other stuff, but his age will remain the same. Great poll. We appreciate your time, Bernie. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. How about a road trip? Maybe Orlando, maybe a little New Orleans, New Orleans. 
get down there and see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. We've got tickets for you, uh, two of them. But to register to win, you need to know the national keyword. And this is a great thing. You can go wherever the TSO is playing. You choose the destination, the concert of your choice. We provide the round-trip airfare, three nights in a hotel, and a $1,000 just to have fun with you, a little holiday shopping, all of it courtesy of Wild Child Touring. And our national keyword for this hour is... Lights. Text the word lights to 95819. That's 95819, and you will be on your way to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, the Ghosts of Christmas Eve, the best of TSO, and more. So register to win, and good luck. When you said a road trip, I thought we were going. So where are we going? I think we should plan I was thinking plane trip. Oh. More than road Road trip. trip. Yeah. Let's do it. But you didn't like Nick's driving on our last road trip north uh, for the campus? We all napped. It was yeah, fine. It, it, was. Was, it was great. Yeah. Oh, Nick did a great job uh, as we were, were traveling cross-country. And uh, oh, our poor friends up at Ferris State lost again in Grand Valley. They, yes. had a, they, they had a disappointment up there. But uh, they've had a pretty doggone good season other than that. Uh, we know that there is a big game coming up on Saturday. The University of Michigan Wolverines, four-point favorites over Ohio State. Steve Courtney, our WJR sports analyst, joining us live this morning with a look at the game. With the Ohio State University, but this is the game. Uh, indeed. Guy, boy, Jane, good morning to you all. Hello to everybody. This conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your Windows Roofing and Siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Uh, yeah, we are T-minus four days away from the showdown, Battle of the Undefeated. Uh, both the Michigan football Wolverines and, of course, the Ohio State Buckeyes go in 11-0 and overall, 8-0 and in conference play. Please know, Ohio State has not been an underdog to a Big Ten team in five years. Michigan looks like they're in a situation to change that. The Wolverines began the week as a four-point home favorite over the Buckeyes at ESPN Bet. It is the first time they've been favored over Ohio State since 2018 when the Buckeyes were also a four-point underdog against Michigan. That, by the way, was the last time Ohio State had been an underdog to a Big Ten team. A stretch of 43 games against conference foes. It is the longest active streak of being favored against one conference in the nation. The Buckeyes beat the Michigan football Wolverines in 2018, 62-39. Meanwhile, of course, the Wolverines will be without their head coach, Jim Harbaugh, when it hosts the Buckeyes on Saturday in A-squared. Harbaugh will be serving the final game of that three-game suspension for the alleged sign-stealing scheme. Odds makers, in case you're wondering, and this is interesting, have downplayed the impact of Harbaugh's absence on the sideline in the Wolverines' past two games with wins over Penn State and Maryland under the watchful eye of offensive coordinator Sharon Moore. Uh, And they say any added motivation caused by the controversy mitigates the loss of their coach. Now, there is this guy. His name's Ed Sammons. You ever hear of him? Anyway, he's a veteran Las Vegas odds maker with the Westgate Superbook. Uh, He estimated Harbaugh was worth one point, one point against the spread. 
Uh, mm. Caesar Sportsbook had Michigan listed at a six and a half point favorite before last week's games, but reopened it at four and a half on Sunday. Meanwhile, also on Sunday, the line opened as high as Michigan minus five at Circus Sports in Las Vegas. Uh, but right now, we are at Michigan by three and a half. Well, the home field advantage is big at the big house. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, by and large, uh, and these odds makers uh, certainly know a hell of a lot more. I mean, they're very good at what they do. Uh, they always say and have said, uh, James, that the home team is automatically plus three. And then you take it from there. Well, I, did you hear his press conference talking about bathing suits and Ted Lasso? Go from chickens to, ba- chickens <laughs> to bathing suits? Yeah, I don't know if anybody was truly prepared for an analogy uh, between his locker room and his mother's swimwear. (laughs) Um, That one there, uh, again, uh, but this is what Jim Harbaugh is known for. And, uh, again, we we could just get into the whole deal of uh, Michigan and Harbaugh uh, accepting the three-game suspension, the hearing supposedly in Washtenaw County. Uh, last Friday, a chance to get that TRO, temporary restraining order. I don't mean to be throwing around legal terms uh, willy-nilly at this hour, um, but there are still some that are kind of stunned. But then uh, perhaps the writing was on the wall, and as it turns out, uh, Michigan will be without Harbaugh for the game. Um, That being said, uh, interesting deal. Uh, Ryan Day, head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and Jim Harbaugh historically, uh, there is no love loss there. Uh, so uh, there's going to be uh, quite a dynamic going on high noon Saturday in Ann Arbor when these uh, two teams get together. Everybody's up for this game. Everybody's looking forward to it. Or You know, Michigan fans, they just know that Michigan's going to win. If they don't win, Steve, uh, what kind of blowback does Harbaugh get? Well, you know, it, hindsight being what it is, Lloyd, um, I, I, I know where you're going here. Um, but uh, if you're a member of Wolverine Nation, uh, you are uh, obviously very uh, confident that this team is responding to Sharon Moore. Um, that being said, uh, this is a different animal. This is a completely different element. And I'm sure if things don't go the Wolverines way on Saturday, there will be those saying, all right, there you go. That does it. Uh, didn't have Harbaugh, and that was the difference. But look, uh, you know, there are threads all over uh, the Internet, which is all the rage these days, um, saying that when the NCAA concludes their investigation, oh, and by the way, when they take into consideration uh, the COVID-19 dead period recruiting issue, Mm -hmm. uh, there are those under the impression that Harbaugh could be sitting out quite a bit uh, next season. And forgive Uh, me, I I can't remember the the USA Today columnist that had a piece saying he's in real trouble. He could be gone for a long time. Yeah, and you know what, uh, guy? So it wasn't just the Internet. I mean, there, there are some pretty thoughtful guys out there that are, are putting their analysis on it based on an NCAA which is leaking more than Washington. Well, true enough. Uh, but that being said, uh, we may have a final decision uh, from the NCAA sometime around uh, 2028. Um, <laughs> 
And, you know, Jim Harbaugh could be retired four years before anything, uh, you know, comes out. And I will also mention, uh, it's been pointed out that if uh, Harbaugh's under the impression that if things get a little bit too dicey uh, in Ann Arbor, that he'll just bolt to the NFL, uh, the National Football League has said it's not going to be a safe harbor. Uh, there will be consequences. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this whole thing turns out. And it all culminates at noon on Saturday on the football field with so many, you know, so much implications. Yes. Yeah. And as we were talking on the sports book last night there, James, uh, the way these two teams can run the football, it could be over in an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see uh, what happens. All right, Steve. Thanks. All right. You guys have a wonderful day. We intend to. It already has been. Uh, thanks so much. 743 on Newstalk 760. Uh, my friends at CNC Heating and Air Conditioning, just as you're having the guests hit the door, they're asking the question that maybe we should have asked a few days ago, which is, is your heating and cooling system up to the task, especially the heating part is the really cold weather hits. Do you have a short cycling problem? Do you notice that your furnace turns on for a minute and then turns off, then on again, then off again? That is a sign that your heating system needs some attention. If it needs frequent repairs, if your family keeps getting sick, if your utility bills are higher than normal. Those are the four biggies. And then there's the one that's always out there. If you hear squeaks, bangs, and uh, noises that you just can't explain, it's probably not something from, uh, from Ghostbusters. It's probably a problem with your furnace. If you've got any of those issues, it's time to call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning. For 75 years, the Corin family has been making sure that families just like yours, get the best customer service when it comes to heating and cooling. It's why they're recommended by the Inside Outside guys. Right now, Carrier Furnace, they've got Carrier Cool Cash Savings, a great promotion just in time for the heating season. Best thing you can do, call 800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. Get a free 21-point comfort survey. Found exactly what you need. And if your furnace is up to snuff, and if you need a new Carrier Heating System, they can provide it and install it tomorrow. Survey today, installation tomorrow. Visit cncheat.com. That's cncheat.com. Carrier, turn to the experts. Axios with an interesting piece calling our nation America the Angry. 33% of Republicans agree with the statement that American patriots may have to resort to violence to save the country. 22% of independents agree with that. It's uh, 13%. For Democrats, we see the pro-Palestinian element getting violent. We see others saying that uh, they are angry uh, 60% of the time when it comes to politics. And all of this is boiling over in the halls of Congress where they're uh, throwing punches and giving kidney punches. Uh, none of this has escaped our next guest, Nolan Finley. We weren't able to talk to him as, on Mondays as we normally do because of Hunger Free in the Day, but it's Tuesdays with Nolan here on WJR. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. Um, I'm not going to know what day it is the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, just don't forget that Thursday's Thanksgiving and you've got it locked up. That's all you need to remember. Um, you, you were talking about this, and I think Caitlin also, uh, within your pages, in, in the uh, editorial page of the Detroit News, talking about this as well, Nolan, that this anger um, is it driven from the top or is it bubbling up from the bottom or is it both? Well, I think it's infiltrated the whole of our 
society. What you know, what I wrote about was the two incidents we had in Congress last week, where uh, of very very bad behavior. Uh, you know, with uh, Kevin McCarthy being accused of elbowing another congressman who voted against him uh, for the speaker, and then you had that bizarre display by Mark Wayne Mullen, the senator from Oklahoma, challenging the uh, Teamster president, uh, Sean O'Brien, to a cage match to settle whatever differences they had. I mean, it's just we are angry. We're un, we're incivil. We're uh, uh, I think we've forgotten our completely forgotten our manners. And there's you know when that starts happening in the Congress amongst the people who are supposed to lead us, you 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 wonder can you escape it throughout society? Nolan, uh, Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders was the one who said, "Listen, you know, sit down. You guys are, you, you know, are United you, you States state senators. senators. But you know, by today's standards, as you said, <laughs> was Mullen acting like a senator? What does that mean anymore? I mean, <laughs> right. it's, uh, I mean, there's no, there's very little decorum at at every level. We feel almost entitled to our anger and to to our our bad behavior, and we are so." Uh, wedded to our differences and so locked into our differences. And we believe we just can't cross that divide. That uh, We have to be, stay in our tribes and hold on to our position. And that's not, that's not a very good place to uh, come to any agreement on some very important issues we need to come to agreement on. Nolan, let's talk about your column with Caitlin Buss about the climate here for business in our state. You said we should erect a sign that said closed for business. It wasn't a very good year for uh, business policymaking in Michigan. A lot of pro-union uh, uh, legislation passed. Right to work was repealed. Uh, you know, this is going to to come with a very bad outcome i think up the road as businesses look for places to expand places to to grow their businesses i'm not sure that michigan is going to be on the list and you look at what we're having to do to draw businesses here the medc is out there giving away uh subsidy packages paying two three hundred thousand dollars per job i don't know what world that makes sense and where's the long-term return on a state paying two, three hundred thousand or more per job that's created in the state. But we're going to have to do that to get people to come here because the overall tax and policy environment is not positive. What about the report, though, that more Detroiters are working more than ever? Doesn't that contradict that a little bit? Well, I mean, it's that's different than, uh, you know, creating new new jobs. We've had a a worker shortage in this state and country for the last two or three two or three years and it's good to see people rejoining the workforce uh, that should help with inflation and it should help with productivity but i don't think it's attached at all to these really poor policies that are coming out of lansing yesterday we saw governor whitmer sign some domestic violence uh, legislation that would crack down on gun possession uh, by uh, abusers and offenders I've always felt sympathy for the father of a a daughter whose abusive boyfriend has access to firearms and he has no means of protecting other than a firearm of his own. 
Um, but this bill kind of redefines the abuser, what an abuser is, and it also expands the definition of the felonies that would trip the wire on this to include lobbying and campaign finance violations, yeah. uh, gambling offenses, disorderly conduct at a funeral. There's a lot of things that would trigger a three- to five-year gun rights suspension. What, what went on in Lansing, and was this? are we seeing an illustration of what haste has done? Well, absolutely. They didn't know what they were passing, or or maybe they did. But there's a, now 190 high misdemeanors and felonies that qualify or would qualify a person for losing their Second Amendment rights that have nothing to do with domestic violence or any violence of any kind, uh, breaking into a vending machine, uh, possessing a fish that you're not supposed to, to catch or, or own, uh, as you said, lobbying gambling the list just goes on and on of of offenses that could cost you your second amendment right and it turns gun ownership uh from a constitutionally guaranteed right to a privilege doled out by the state and i think you know whether they knew exactly what they were doing or not that's the intent of democrats with these gun control measures they call them common sense but you can't read this and say there's any common sense to it in terms of who can keep their guns and who can after a, a misdemeanor. It's, aren't they, uh, aren't they going to say that nobody court. would ever act on these things and so we're making them out of not a remote? They will. Of course they will. If, it, if the intent wasn't to act on them, why pass them? I don't believe it's going to pass a constitutional test in the courts. Uh, the Supreme Court particularly has been uh, uh, looked very unfavorably on backdoor uh, gun bans, which is what this is. Mm-hmm. Nolan, as we uh, sit and uh, count our blessings on Thursday, our friendship is one of those things that we will count. And we thank you for for weighing in. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Our best to your team and uh, look forward to our discussions to end the year. Okay, we appreciate it. And right. uh, talk to you next week, maybe. Very good. Thank you. Yes, and hopefully it will be maybe on, on Monday. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get back on schedule. <laughs> the headlines you need to know about next. And before we get on to your headlines, we just want to send out a big thank you to you for really coming through for us during our Hunger Free in the D, our 10th annual Hunger Free in the D Radiothon yesterday, which delivered $271,000 in donations for local families and children in need that was then matched by uh, an additional $200,000 from the Solani Family Foundation, which delivers now that's 1.4 million meals that will be there for families in need throughout the year, but especially throughout the holiday season. Yeah, so, and uh, thank you so much for being so generous. The Detroiters and our listeners are just some yeah. of the most generous uh, out there. It's so that's, needed, and it that's is. just so wonderful. And uh, the Chelani family, God love you. You're, you're doing wonderful work, and we thank you for your generosity in supporting the Gleaners and uh, all those who are serviced by them. So that was a wonderful day. We had a, an excellent time out at the warehouse, and then the folks were at uh, Palazzo de Bocci and had a great time out there, and we were privileged to be part of it. And uh, you folks came through, and we certainly appreciate it. Um, there has been this ongoing battle to get Mayor Duggan's land value tax plan through. It's stalled right now in the legislature. We're going to be talking in a few minutes to Speaker of the House Joe Tate about what happens in Lansing after the first of the year with that. 
He said it's a priority. Meantime, the Detroit yeah. City Council is going to take it up today. Yeah, formal session. They're, they're going to take it up in their formal session. There will be a uh, public hearing uh, today, and then uh, they're supposed to vote on it. Now, what I'm, you know, kind of shaking about is that I thought it had to pass in the legislature first before City Council could vote on it. So we'll we'll get more information, I'm sure. From Maybe the, it's one of those things in anticipation, in anticipation. of saying that we'll have the framework there and that we can initiate it and activate it once the legislature does their thing. And um, maybe it's a bit of the cart before the horse, but uh, (laughs) hey, you know what? If it it gets the deal done in January, and the other thing is, what what really has to happen, there's going to be a referendum on it. And that will probably not be taxpayers. Yeah, and that probably wouldn't be until next year, November, for, you know, during the presidential election, it'll be on the ballot. Right. Because we need more stuff on that ballot. <laughs> right. Of course we do. Of course we do. Uh, meantime, uh, Coach Harbaugh uh, said <laughs> some even more colorful messages. <laughs> yeah, no chickens He this certainly time. does this on purpose, you know, because what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> he's not going to be on the sidelines when 11-0 Ohio State comes to the big house to play 11-0 Michigan because by now you know why. And they asked him on Monday during his regular scheduled press conference about his locker room, and he said, we're together. I mean, it's, it's uh, I go back to that, uh, it's, like, it's like the Ted Lasso show, you know, um, believe. And what comes out of that is believe, and I'm just so proud, just so proud of our team. Despite that noise, our locker room's in one piece. And uh, you know, like Ted, for me, locker room's a lot like my mom's bathing suits. Like to see him in one piece. <laughs> he gave the attribution to Ted Lasso because that's a direct quote, but it is pretty funny. It it is, and uh, and you know it is amazing that he has been able to hold that, and his coaches have been able to hold that locker room together. Well, JJ McCarthy was asked about it, and he's like, almost it has brought us closer because they have this Michigan against everybody mentality. Uh-huh, yeah. mm-hmm. So perhaps within the locker room, it's helped. We'll see on Saturday at noon. Lots of implications there. Yes. A lot of us are worried about what our kids are seeing online, and uh, that may be reaching an inflection point on Capitol Hill. Yeah, Guy, a Senate panel has subpoenaed the CEOs of Discord, Snap, and X to testify about children's safety online. This comes from Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Derman and South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, the top Republican on the panel. They've issued subpoenas to Discord CEO Jason Citron, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel, and Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of X, after repeated refusals to appear, which I find interesting. They said in a remarkable departure from typical practice, those CEOs have failed to respond. And they said that... um, tech like meta and tiktok those ceos are testifying voluntarily so they had to send these subpoenas to get these people in front of them to talk to them about safety children and online stuff so and that's going to be coming we had a great discussion earlier this morning with ryan schmelz from fox news who's covering this for our network and uh you can check that out at thegreatvoice.com and also remember to download the wjr app so that you can take us anywhere you need to go because we're always there for you, either with those podcasts that you can access through the app or by streaming wherever you go. And if you're on your holiday travels, that doesn't mean you have to leave WJR behind. Uh, interesting story. It's kind of an in-case-you-missed-it story coming from our friends at Chalkbeat Detroit, which covers the education beat. The gaps between our lowest and highest performing K-8 through students are wider than would have been expected before the pandemic. Yet another 
example of how much learning loss is still affecting our kids, and our progress in closing that gap is slower than the rest of the nation. Now, I know that there are folks who are going to say, yeah, well, maybe that's because we dug our hole deeper, and I wouldn't say that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it shows that for the incredible amount of money, a record amount of money that has been uh, appropriated for K-12 through education, we still aren't catching up as fast as our kids' peers in other states. Uh, this comes to us uh, with a new analysis uh, that was done by the Education Policy Innovation Collaborative. It's something kind of interesting. The New York Times about three days ago, it's like they just discovered that the education shutdown has harmed our kids. They really did a harsh assessment saying just how bad it was. And I want to ask them, where were you near the fall and summer of 2020 when we were talking about how to reopen schools? Mm-hmm. And you sided with the NAA and others who said, well, we have to go slow on this, even though there was no evidence that COVID was a, a, a threat to children. Well, maybe they needed to wait for evidence, well, you know, like years out to know exactly what the effect was. That may be their argument, but we didn't have any, you know, data at the time that said that this was a huge problem. But we did know and every parent will tell you that the hybrid learning wasn't working and that their children were falling behind. And study after study now shows. Well, what te- what seems to be the reason that we're falling? It's taking us so long and not others. Is it funds? Is it the teachers? Is it what? What is it? It's not funds. I know that we've got a shortage of counselors. We've got a shortage of reading therapists. Uh, but you would think that we, that, you know, every district has tried to crack this nut. And uh, there was also a lot of resignations from a lot of good, long tenured teachers, too. Perhaps that's part and of it. There were mm-hmm. some just like in every profession we saw early retirements. Yes. Amidst the frustration, um, but there is, uh, you can uh, check this out, bridgemi.com has a good write-through on it. Um, some test scores are showing some improvement, but uh, we are still, when it comes to third grade reading, which we know is a pivotal year, way uh, below the norm. Uh, another interesting story coming out from, uh, this is an, an Alzheimer's study. Visceral fat, this is the fat that can form around your organs. It's also, they, they would say that some of the warning signs, if your waist is larger than your hips, if your blood sugar is in the pre-diabetes range, that can be a, a marker for this visceral fat. That can lead, it is an early indicator of Alzheimer's and dementia, perhaps decades in advance of your cognitive problems showing up. Exercise can take care of that visceral fat, so it's something to consider. Uh, If you want to read more about that, it's uh, on a number of websites and uh, do a deep dive in that. But it says, this won't show up in your body mass index. You can have a great BMI Mm -hmm. and still have this special kind of body fat. So uh, it's it's a nice heads up. Why they had to release this right before Thanksgiving, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you could, you could have so waited a couple days. Eating, eating, right? well, eat Maybe January, when yeah. everyone's heading back to the to, gym. To the gym, right? Kind of, kind of, kind of, hey, NBC, kind of a buzzkill. Uh, you could have held back on that one. Uh, but uh, something to think about is you're making, yeah, your resolutions maybe after Thanksgiving.
Hey, we've got something for you here. We've got tickets to Spartans football, the final regular season game, and it's down here in our area at Ford Field coming up this Friday. Be caller number nine right now at 1-800-859-0WJR, 1-800-859-0957 to win four tickets. That's four tickets to see some Spartan football on Friday. They're taking on the Nittany Lions of Penn State. This is an evening game, 730 at Ford Field. And tickets are still available for purchase at Ticketmaster.com. When we come back, the Speaker of the Michigan House about the legislative year that has passed and his priorities in an evenly divided House come January. Joe Tate next on JR Morning. The legislative year has closed. They have uh, closed up shop a little bit early uh, to accommodate a presidential primary schedule. Uh, But it was a year where a lot got done. But there is still more left on the table and the agenda. And it will be a little bit more difficult, especially in the Michigan House, where it will be an even 54-54 split because two state reps have become mayors in their respective towns. And uh, we may not get a special election for that till long about May. Uh, That makes for a bit of a dicier uh, road to travel for our next guest, the Speaker of the Michigan House. Joe Tate, state representative of the 10th District, joining us live this morning. Speaker, good morning. Guy, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, We were just discussing, apparently, the Detroit City Council is going to have a public hearing and take up the mayor's land value tax plan. I know that was something that was left on the table. How high up the list of priorities is that for the resumption of the legislative year in January? It's something that we, you know, definitely want to be able to work on. That's certainly a priority. How are we focused on uh, reducing costs and um, and reducing uh, the tax burden, uh, in particular with the land value tax on Detroit homeowners? Uh, how are we helping to encourage development? Because that's something that's needed uh, in the city. So it's something that we're definitely going to be coming back and, and taking uh, another look at it to see if we can get it out. Uh, Speaker, uh, also, I think one of your priorities, you said, was going to be auto insurance and, and, you know, how the Senate approved higher insurance reimbursements to care for people that were seriously hurt in car crashes. Um, How are we going to address that? And will that be one of your top priorities as well? That's that's going to be on the agenda as well. So we've been having in the House uh, a process. Uh, in terms of what our insurance chair, uh, Representative Brenda Carter, has been working on uh, throughout uh, the summer and the fall um, on how are we focused around that. So it's good that we have, um, you know, the Senate package and, and what they sent over. Uh, but we once we get back next year, uh, that, that will be a focus of effort as well, too, because, you know, we know that um, – yeah, obviously we had the legislation in 2019, uh, and we've had some time now just to see, you know, the the impacts of of uh, the auto uh, reform legislation. So we'll come back next year, and and, and we're going to be uh, focused on that uh, as as well too, because we know that, um, you know, auto insurance rates uh, coverage. We want to make sure that, you know. All Michiganders have access to to affordable auto insurance rates and also the coverage that comes with it. Speaker, we have been talking all morning about a bill that Gretchen Whitmer signed yesterday blocking domestic violence offenders from owning or possessing a firearm for eight years. 
obviously something a lot of people can get behind, but some saying it's a, an overreach and too broad of definitions in multiple ways. What would you say to that? I think when we came in this year, um, you know, focus of effort has been around gun violence prevention because for over the past decade, uh, you know, when, when I served in the minority and my time in the legislature before this year, there were no, there weren't even any hearings around gun violence prevention. So earlier this year, we saw um, efforts to get universal background checks, safe storage, as well as uh, red flag legislation to the governor's desk, and we did that. Uh, this is a continuation of that. And we know that when you look at uh, domestic violence incidents, uh, we know that there is a high propensity around gun violence in, in that space. Um, I don't feel that it is an overreach. Um, in fact, uh, the opposite, because when we look at this, I think the last thing that I want to see and my colleagues want to see is talking to a family member or a parent uh, asking us why we haven't been able to um, work on issues around gun violence prevention. Uh, so I don't view it as an overreach. Actually, I view it as uh, something to, to continue to build safe and strong communities across the state. Well, if not an overreach, maybe maybe a, a, a better uh, characterization would be s- some flaws in in the legislation. I mean, if if you uh, put a, a false statement on a veteran's benefit application, some gambling offenses, disorderly conduct at a funeral, there's a lot of of uh, misdemeanors and low-grade felonies here that could get, trigger loss of a weapon as well. That may not be overreach, but it could be a violation that won't stand up uh, under judicial scrutiny. Is there maybe some cleanup that needs to be done in these bills in the new legislative year? Uh, that's something that we can we'll, we'll certainly always um take a look at and and are open to it. I think um, when we look at this legislation, however, um, when you look at the incidents that have taken place, not only in, you know, the district that I represent or uh, other areas, when you look at the history of gun violence uh, across this state, and obviously more recently with what we've seen in Oxford, what we've seen at Michigan State, um, I think the larger issue is us actually governing Mm -hmm. to be able to move legislation that that reduces that now there is there isn't any policy public policy that's going to be perfect obviously we'll we'll you know we'll come and uh you know take the we can always take a look at that um but i think the bigger picture for us is actually being able to enact the legislation that will that will uh curb uh gun violence reduction not not obviously wipe it all out, but be able to have the tools to, to lower uh, gun violence across the state. Speaker Tate, we got about a minute left. Uh, you're going to come back with a 54-54 split. You got to fill those seats uh, left vacant by Representatives uh, Lori Stone and Kevin Coleman. Will you be able to work bipartisanly? Uh, yes, I'm optimistic that, that we will. And, and we have uh, throughout the year. Um, there have been certain issues that that we haven't been able to get to get that bipartisanship but for the most part when you look at legislation moving out of the house uh it is in a bipartisan fashion um but you know for us uh for me we still 
what takes precedent is putting people first at the end of the day. House Democrats, you know, we're still setting the agenda. We still want to move forward and figure out ways of how to lower costs, how to put money back in people's pockets, how to create safe and strong communities and the like. But I, I, I hope that, yes, I, I am optimistic that we can work in a bipartisan fashion. We just got a little bit more time because I have to ask you, you went to Michigan State undergrad, Michigan grad school. So how do you watch the game on Saturday? <laughs> I didn't know that question was coming up. I know. Uh, that, uh, I asked a tough question. I'm a, <laughs> I am. A, 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 I did my undergrad at Michigan State. I played uh, football there, so I, I cheer for my Spartans. Uh, I hope none of my uh, constituents that are Michigan fans will hold that against me. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. I know. You, I know you're still green at heart, and I know you're also pulling for our lines. You had a couple of years there in the NFL, and uh, I, hopefully, we'll get our secondary uh, problems fixed because this is a great looking team, Speaker. Oh, it is. It, it is really looking looking forward. Uh, to uh, this Thursday and uh, excited about the Lions and, and, and their path right now. Yeah, it, it's it's looking good. And uh, we will uh, we'll wish your Spartans the best on uh, Friday evening. Uh, go Blue on Saturday afternoon. And in the meantime, Speaker, you have a great Thanksgiving. So my wife has Thanksgiving down to a T. I mean, it's it's almost like a military operation. She just knows when to put things in. She's she's got it down. You're going to be going to your sister-in-law's, correct? Who is is going to serve up something wonderful? I'm sure. And uh, I'm going to my daughter-in-law's, but my wife. Right. They're cooking all all over there. And and this is not an easy thing that you're asking family members to do. I mean, the, the, the presentation of the Thanksgiving dinner is tough. It also can be if you don't follow some basic rules, can be a little on the dangerous side. <laughs> you don't want your guests getting sick, but when you're working with poultry, that can be an issue. Tanya J. Powers has been looking into this. She's a Fox News correspondent and WJR contributor. Tanya, are you? A, oh, she's not there yet? Well. Okay, that's okay. The, I guess the turkey will be a little bit she late was, in her house. That's she right. was not going to talk about all the videos the firefighters put out of the deep frying. <laughs> oh, that, she you was going to talk year. about the those are, counter being sanitary. For yeah, the chicken, those are chicken, frightening videos, though, and I, I, I love the deep fried turkeys. I, I do too. The, but the flashovers on that. But don't put a frozen turkey in the oil. Right. That's what. That's the problem. That's the issue. Working in local news, you just do the story. It's cyclical. <laughs> yeah. And they, like, right. put a dummy right by the, <laughs> they're, the they're... deep fryer all the time. And you have to stay way back. And they're like, you guys ready? <laughs> and then there's the, there's the let's blow up a, a, a watermelon on July oh, 4th. Yeah. Right? Oh, yes. That's yeah. right. Got See, those money. M80s are really dangerous. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like we didn't know before. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is there is a concern um, with, with all of these things, and Tanya has been looking into it, and hopefully we're going to be connecting with her soon. But do, and you know, and there is the Butterball hotline. Have you ever had to call that? No. Oh, no. That's I know real? Yeah. yeah. A bat phone for turkey? There exactly. you go. Exactly. A yeah. turkey phone. Oh. Yeah. So, at which will, and you know, oh. and there's the, there's the whole thing about, you know, how many, how long do you leave it in for so, how many pounds and things like that. If you have a kitchen with one oven, it really is a dance trying to figure out how to cook things, keep them warm, put the next thing in. And yeah. 
No question, which is why potluck works best. <laughs> and then the microwave right. is, is, is helpful. But yeah, it's the, um, uh, it, I, I don't think we've ever had to use that, but that's kind of for the first timers. That's a nice backstop to have. And by the way, a stuffed bird takes longer yeah. than, a, than an unstuffed bird. I wonder how many calls they get every year. I'm sure that's, an easy, that's an easy Google. Hotline. <laughs> do those people get hazard pay on Thanksgiving? Right. <laughs> Is there a... Yeah. I mean, do they get double time? Yeah. Well, they're maybe, they're just, maybe they're at home. And they're just, you know, when you... They patch you into the cell phone of that person yeah. who's cooking already, and there's they just a, tell you. There's a meme on the internet, like, you're going to spend all day cooking. You know, it's going to take you all day, and then your kid's going to eat one crescent roll. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had a little of that. And you know what? In It's it's okay. If they don't sample everything, Thanksgiving, again, keep it. we were talking about the fact that 85% of oh. families say they argue on Thanksgiving. Or it, or you're going to be dealing with your kids. Put all of that aside. Just make sure that the child that ate just the roll thanks grandma for working so hard in the Correct. kitchen. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Uh, cover that. Well, apparently we haven't been able to connect okay. with Tanya. That's this happens uh, sometimes. She's probably making sure that her kitchen's been uh, completely sanitized. Absolutely. Right. But the bottom line is this: any surface that that poultry touches. You either hit it with a bacterial wipe before you prepare on it, or or not. Hey, we connected with Tanya. She's there. She was. Uh, she uh, were you busy sanitizing the kitchen? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that that's just, okay. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, you 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 sanitize the kitchen. That's a really good idea. Uh, by the way, if you're getting ready for Thanksgiving, just a quick quiz, just to see if you've been doing your homework on thawing your turkey. How many how many hours should you cook for every five if you're thawing it in the refrigerator? How many Ooh. hours per pound? For every five pounds, how many hours should you put it in the refrigerator to thaw for? Well, two. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you you stumped the okay. band. I'm, I'm I didn't mean to stump the band about that. Um, if, if you're using the the refrigerator thawing method for your turkey, give it 24 hours for every five pounds. Oh, 24 so hours a, for every five pounds. Yes. If you're putting it in the refrigerator and just letting it thaw it in there, now you can do it faster than that. So we should have put it in Saturday? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, you should. Bologna and cheese is looking good right now. Um, the cold water bath method is is, is going to be faster probably. 30 member pound, uh, you put it in, in cold water. You do need to change that cold water every half hour. And if there's any part of the turkey that's not submerged, you need to turn it every half hour when you change the water. So you, it, the whole thing gets evenly thawed um so if you're not it's time for the 24 hours for every five pounds in the refrigerator part uh the cold water bath method may be your your better option there um if you if you have questions about how long to thaw um should you wash your turkey how you know what about the oven bags all of that stuff is at foodsafety.gov that is where you're going to, right on the front page, it talks about Thanksgiving Day and you're getting ready for it. They answer all those questions on that website. So if, if you get confused or don't remember these numbers, don't worry. Uh, foodsafety.gov 
is your friend. Um, you can also do the Butterball Turkey Talk Line. They're up and running, have been for a while. You can not only call them, they also take texts, and you can do a live chat on their website, on their website at butterball.com. If you'd rather, if you'd rather do it that way, you can get some some help for your, you know, turkey, you know, cooking questions. I always find it fun to read the list of questions that people have asked them because, boy, they've heard some doozy. You know. <laughs> oh, oh, hysterical! But that's at <laughs> butterball.com, or they've they've got this down one eight hundred butterball. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom yep. line is, is you just really need to have those antibacterial wipes handy or just make sure you clean anything that turkey's touched. Wash your hands. And don't forget the two-hour rule when it comes to when it's time to refrigerate or toss your the prepared food. If you have perishable food that, that you, you finished Thanksgiving dinner and you think, well, I'm just going to leave it out here for a while so people can graze. Remember, after two hours, the USDA says you should discard perishable foods if it's been sitting out for two hours. Okay. Um, because remember, you can't always smell or taste bad bacteria that may have gotten in there. Uh, and you won't know until it's, you know, too late and you're experiencing discomfort, to say the least. Huh. Okay. I actually learned some stuff. Thank we you. We are forewarned and forearmed, Tanya. We thank you so much <laughs> for doing go. the research on this. Uh, we will lean heavily on Butterball and on that foodsafety.gov there you go. website. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. <laughs> so they, they, Reader's Digest asked Butterball, you know, what is the weirdest call you've ever gotten? <laughs> there are a number of them here, but the one I like is the first-time father oh, okay. who decided that they couldn't understand what the p- splashing sound was in the background. He was washing his toddler twins and the turkey at the same time. No. <laughs> In two different places, I hope. No. All together? All in the bathtub? No. All in the bathtub. <laughs> oh the babies the babies were bathing with the bird. Mama said, you better wash that, that kid and wash that turkey. <laughs> that, that you better takes, get it done. <laughs> that takes the two birds with one bath an allergy way too far. Uh, Bill Heisinger has been working hard on our behalf to make sure that funds that we have earmarked for other things, good things, don't go to terrorism. He's made some real progress on that. He'll explain how next on JR Morning at 849. How many times have we heard our government tell us that we are launching these sanctions against these countries that sponsor terrorism, most notably Iran? And yet Iran always seems to be awash in cash and able to do these things. Maybe it's because the rest of the international financial community doesn't follow suit. But there are always some kind of workarounds in there. So they just don't seem to be as effective as we would like them to be. Well, trying to plug these leaks and these workarounds are uh, something that one of our Michigan congressmen has made his mission uh, Congressman Bill Heisinger from Michigan's 4th District joining us live this morning. I believe he's at home in Zealand. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Guy. And, uh, yes, we uh, we finally broke out of the hamster wheel from hell called Washington, D.C. <laughs> so, uh, so, so home, home for a couple of days and uh, looking forward to another Lions win on Thursday. There you go. Game. Yeah. But, and, uh, uh, but yes, it's good to be home. Yeah, well, and all you got to do now is worry about lake effect, which we, we've, you, you and I have plenty of experience 
with that. When it comes to Iran, just how just give us a sense of of how complicated and and how um, just corrupt that system is of, of financial sanctions. Well, you, you know, here, here's the interesting thing, Guy, and, and how to boil this down is always a challenge. But I think you were on to the, 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 the real core of this, um, the, the workarounds, the loopholes, mostly usually are unintentional, all right? And, and so, in other words, there's there's it's it's like you know money is like water in the uh, international terrorism financing. It's going to find that little crack and where it's going to seep through and leak through. Now the question is, is do you have an administration and regulators and relationships around the world that are looking to then plug those leaks to, to fill in those cracks, or do they ignore them? Or even worst case scenario. Do they kind of make sure nobody's looking real closely? Do they just kind of spread that crack apart a little bit and let a little more of it flow out? And what I'm afraid of is that's exactly what we are seeing with the Biden administration right now. Uh, they seem to be trying to want to buy some some short-term peace with Iran and the, and the region. I think they got caught with you know sort of opening up that little uh, that that little fissure that was in the sanctioned system, and now they're looking around saying, okay, how do we put this back in the bottle, and it's too late, you know, because at the end of the day, we know that Iranian proxies, whether it's, whether it's Hamas directly in with Israel, Hezbollah, or others that are now attacking our own troops around in that region, uh, they are primarily funded by Iran, and this administration has not tried to tighten up those sanctions. It's actually allowed them to backslide and loosen up. So, Congressman, your, your bill, it, it kind of tightens the grip on the Ayatollahs and the government, but it, it licenses uh, for humanitarian aid to continue, though, for uh, Iranians and ordinary Iranians. That that's going to continue. Yeah, this, so this is, this is a bill that I uh, was able to get passed out of our uh, out of our. Uh, committee, our financial services committee. Uh, I serve both on financial services, which deals with a lot of the regulators and treasury and all those, but I also serve on the foreign affairs committee. So it's kind of a nice nexus for that. And yes, the idea is to tighten up and force the administration to tighten down on especially oil. Uh, but we've also discovered that uh, there's, a, there's another side door. Uh, Iran uh, sells a tremendous amount of electricity and natural gas, uh, a lot of it going into Iraq. And that's been, uh, that's been another subject of, of, of some investigation that we're doing. The administration has to allow that to happen. They have to acknowledge it, and every six months they have to put out a statement. They did this very, very quietly, and what they have said is that um, that money – not just uh, uh, going to Iraq, you know, can go to bank accounts in Iraq. It can also go to bank accounts in Oman uh, and now France and Italy. Now, I'm not sure what those power lines look like running from Iran to Italy, but they must be some <laughs> infrastructure. Because uh, th there is no damn reason why, why we should be having Iranian or Iraqi money going to an Italian or a French bank to so that they can have potential access by the Iranians unless there's one thing, access to the euro. And that's where this administration is allowing this to happen. 
Well, they always say follow the money. It seems like you have done that. Do you have support for your bill, Congressman? Uh, We do, actually, and we've got uh, good bipartisan support on it. Uh, because there's a lot of people, you know, the, the, look, the, the Hamas invasion of, of, uh, of Israel on October 7 changed the playing field in Washington, D.C. Uh, one of my Democrat colleagues, uh, Brad Sherman, uh, uh, who is from California, uh, bad, uh, Brad and I would struggle to uh, agree that today is Tuesday on most things. But uh, <laughs> uh, we we uh, we. We work very well together, and he's – so Brad is Jewish and has been a staunch defender of Israel and a staunch critic of, of any sort of loosening or backsliding of sanctions on – uh, I'm sorry, on Iran. And that has come under the Biden administration. It's come under the Trump administration. It's come under the, the, uh, uh, the, the Obama administration. My point is, is that people like Brad are looking at this very clear-eyed and they are very focused on trying to make sure that Iran doesn't have the ability to finance uh, terrorism around the world. Uh, We've only got 60 seconds left, Congressman, but what are the prospects for getting some Israeli funding and maybe some Ukraine funding done by the end of the year? Um, well, you know, the, the, the House has passed a, uh, an Israeli aid package funding a little over $14 billion. Uh, that really is up to Chuck Schumer. I know he's getting a lot of pressure um, uh, within the Senate to, uh, to, to do something and to move something along. I hope that does happen. Uh, 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 Ukraine is slightly more complicated. I think for me, uh, it's having more transparency. It's having more accountability with that. And at the end of the day, We've got to make sure that uh, there is confidence, not just within Congress, but within uh, within our constituents, that the aid that's going to Ukraine uh, is actually going to where it's intended. Thank you, Mr. Heisinger, Congressman Heisinger. We love you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family in Zealand. We'll see you tomorrow. I hate that.